As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I know it's all about goals and people want to see goals, but he's one of those that just excites you. I think he can only get better once he adapts to the Premier League as well. He's 9-2 to two to score 20 or more Premier League goals this season. I think in one game, very soon, this guy's going to fill his boots. You mentioned who benefits the most from Ronaldo's departure. I think Marcus Rashford just profits the most from Eric Tenard's arrival. Nowhere left for Everton to go manager wise I've almost tried everything now and they're still embroiled in relegation battles I'd be seriously worried as an Everton fan I think confidence is a massive factor in this Arsenal side at the moment and we're seeing it kind of run through the club as I say with the fans with the players and there's almost an expectation almost an inevitability that Arsenal were going to come back and and win that game 3-1 so I say things are looking really 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 good for them at the moment Hello and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Dan Bardell and this is the Weekend Preview. I'm joined by George Ellick, Bet365, Steve Freeth and the Athletic's Richard Mofa. Coming up, we're going to react to Julian Lopetegu winning his first Premier League game in charge of Wolves before welcoming Manchester United to Molyneux. The pressure's mounting on Frank Lampard ahead of his visit to the Etihad and leaders Arsenal showed their credentials coming from behind to beat West Ham. Next up for them are Brighton. All that's here to come on the Weekend Preview. Let's start though at Anfield as Liverpool welcome Leicester City fresh from agreeing a deal to sign Dutch forward Cody Gakpo, one of the stars of the World Cup from PSV. Liverpool v Leicester is taking place on Friday at 7.45. Liverpool fresh from beating Villa as well are five points off Spurs in fourth with a game in hand. Maybe not quite at their best, but in the end, as I say, they came out winners. George, is that an ominous sign for the rest that Liverpool are starting to get into gear? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it depends who you're calling the rest. I don't think, you know, Arsenal and Manchester City have too much to worry about in terms of Liverpool and them getting back into where we where we expect them to be. But it was the kind of Liverpool performance that we've seen in their in their better seasons where they were, as you say, not necessarily at their best, but they created plenty of chances. They were agents of chaos in the in the final third. The ball from Trent Alexander Arnold for the for the opening goal, I think, is one of the best passes I've seen mm. in the Premier League for a long time. That the pre-assist with the outside of his boot and then a brilliant first time ball inside from, from Robertson for the goal. 
Robertson now the the highest assist maker of, of any Premier League defender as well, which is a, a an accolade to be pretty proud of. You know, they were very good. It was pretty professional. It was good to see Mo Salah still looking very sharp after his good form before the World Cup. Um, I know we'll get on to Darwin Nunez's performance as well in, in a second, but it looked to me more like the Liverpool of old. It, it does feel like of the kind of big six We've seen a couple of slow starters in Manchester United and Liverpool start to hit their stride, whereas maybe, you know, looking at the Tottenham in particular, um, who got off to a decent start, they look to me now to be pretty far behind in terms of performance level from those two I've mentioned. So, yeah, for Liverpool, I think the, the signs are good in terms of trying to secure that top four finish. Yes, Dave George touched on Darwin Nunes there. Four chances without scoring, but is the chance magnet better to be there to miss than not getting the chances at all? I've got to say, I was at that game and his movement off the ball is very, very good. He's very, very sharp off the ball. I think he's new to the league. There's obviously going to be these inconsistencies. I think he'll have games where he misses a lot of chances and games where he probably takes a few as well. But what did you make of his performance? It's like a bag of revels, isn't it? You just don't know what you're going to get with him. You know, one minute he's a, he's a world beater, next next minute he's a panel beater. I, I love watching him as a neutral, absolute box office. I backed him to have seven shots against Villa because I knew that he'd just be shooting for fun. He had six, of course. Another <laughs> of course. Uh, another another loser that I had. But but he's under. He's I mean his numbers are. A fantastic, you know, he's, he's, he's non-penalty XG, he's only second to Haaland, Haaland over, overtook him last night, 5.8 shots per 90 minutes, 2.6 shots on target per game. I know it's all about goals and people want to see goals, but he's one of those that just excites you. I think he can only get better once he adapts uh, to the Premier League as well. He's 9-2 to two to score 20 or more Premier League goals this season. I think in one game very soon, this guy's going to fill his boots. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he's he's too good a player to, to to not score a lot of goals. I was watching him closely at Villa Park, and his movements very very strong. Rich, he's going to have some well, not competition, I suppose, someone to play with him. Well, well especially while Diaz is out, he's going to have Cody Gakpo joining him in the Liverpool front line. Interesting signing, this one, isn't it? It is because especially when you look at, at Liverpool and, and what they need, you probably would have thought that um, you know a central midfielder would have been high on the priority, especially with them buying Luis Diaz this time last season, but. It's always good to add quality to the side, you know, the likes of, uh, you know, Firmino's been, been out injured and um, so has Diego Jota. So, you know, to, to, to increase your firepower at any stage of the season, we saw Luis Diaz's transformative effect last season and whether Gakpo will do the same remains to be seen, but he comes in in good form. Um, obviously, he had a good World Cup scoring three goals and we know what he offers. He, he likes to get in behind. He can score all kinds of goals, you know, he's decent with his head, score with both feet. Of course, it'll take a while to adapt in terms of, you know, Liverpool's pressing style. And there were questions asked of that by Liverpool scouts um, b- before signing him. But if he can adapt under Klopp very quickly and hit the ground running, then of course, it'll be a fantastic signing and a, a great addition to the side. Yeah, and George, it's a, it feels a decent time for Liverpool to play Leicester. There's no James Madison. There's no doubt that Leicester are very, very heavily reliant on Madison. He was unavailable for the Newcastle game and it took Leicester until the 82nd minute to register a shot on target. Looks like he'll be missing for this one too. Liverpool fresh from getting three points. It's it's a great time to play Leicester. Yeah, it is. I think with Leicester, all the good work that they did before the break in terms of the clean sheets they kept, turning around the form. I think being 3-0 down at half-time against Newcastle probably undoes quite a lot of that. And and immediately fans who thought they'd they'd finally push themselves clear of, of the relegation and any concerns about that will suddenly be looking over their shoulders again. You know, they're 7-1 to one for relegation at this stage, but they're only a point ahead of Bournemouth who are 8-13. So, you know, if they are going to regress back to the 
you know the, the level they were playing at before um, that they, they turned the, the form around back to the level basically they played at on Boxing Day. Then, then I think they're very much still in the mix. Um, Madison is, is clearly a key player for them, um, and you know he's going to be a huge miss. But there have been plenty of times this season where James Madison's been playing for Leicester and they've been very poor, even when he's been good when they've been losing games. And, and so I don't think it's quite as simple as Madison out. Um, you know, Leicester poor, Madison back, Leicester good. Um, they are they have some serious issues, especially defensively, which were exposed again by by Newcastle. Um, and you know, it was it was a dominant win for them. You know, credit to Newcastle, who I still you know we're coming to the end of the year now. I know it won't be particularly popular with with many people um, because of the, the the source of the of the money that has made, made instigating the change at Newcastle. But I think Eddie Howe should be in with a massive shout for manager of the year in terms of where he's taken this Newcastle side. You look at the the 11 that he put out against Leicester as well it's only a couple of you know obviously very good additions in terms of Pope Trippier Botman um, and and Bruno but he's taken a, a team who under, under Steve Bruce looked like they were relegation fodder and turned them into a team who genuinely could challenge for the title it is quite remarkable yeah. it's not a, not a good time to be Steve Bruce the way the teams that he's left in the, in the last 12 to 15 months of uh, <laughs> a, a performing at the moment not a good time move to on Daniel Bruce move on yeah, we'll move, move, we'll on. move <laughs> on from that Steve we've, we've all been burnt by Steve Bruce here is, is that if you're a manager should you just wait until Steve Bruce is sacked and then just go hard for that job? Like it someone, look, it looks know, like it. It looks like it. Re- re- like you follow in the Vegas slot machines. You know, you wait until someone walks <laughs> yeah. away having stuck in loads of, and then you go in and you, and you, you get the jackpot. That's it. It's, it's uh, certainly looking that way, but we digress. Liverpool have scored plus two in five of the last six meetings with Leicester at Anfield in all competitions, with the only exception being January 2019. I actually remember that game, which was Liverpool one, Leicester one. So ominous signs for Leicester travelling to Anfield for numerous reasons. Next up, we're going to look at the two Manchester clubs here on the Weekend Preview. While everyone else is winding down for Christmas, the Athletics Club podcast are firing back up over the festive period to celebrate the return of domestic football. Catch Talk of the Devils, Handbrake Off, The Phil Hay Show and all your favourite club shows. None of that World Cup nonsense is behind us. All are free to listen to, of course, on Apple, Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Wolves have got plenty forwards here. Drury cuts it back in a break to eight. Nuri, who fires the winner for Wolves! 
Now we're going to look at Wolves against Manchester United, which is the Saturday lunchtime offering. And Julian Lopetegui is off to a winning start with Wolves, a dramatic late win over Everton on Boxing Day. They came from behind to win 2-1, Steve. One of your favourite sides, Wolves. Yeah. Absolute bedlam in, in the away end. Pretty naive from Everton, I've got, I've got to be honest, but that's a huge three points in the Premier League season for Wolves. Yeah, I mean, rivalries aside, if you're a struggling team going for a bit of a six-pointer and a way day, if you want to win the game, win it in five minutes of injury time. I'd have loved to have been in that way end. It, it would have been absolutely fantastic. And you saw the Wolves players all, all, all join in with the fans as well, you know, celebrations. Wolves are going to be okay this season. You know, they'll, they'll press up think? in January. Yeah, I'll do, yeah. They've got a good manager. They'll press up in January and uh, I, I really do think they're going to be okay. But the one thing, Dan, that, that caught my eye was just Lopetegui. He must have been the only man in Merseyside without a coat. It looked absolutely <laughs> freezing and he was there in his, in, his, in his black turtleneck. Whether it was a Christmas present, I don't know. He was just absolutely loving it. And then he did the post-match. Steve, you've clearly never been on a night out in, uh, in Liverpool before if you think he's no, the only of, man in Merseyside not wearing yeah. a coat. No, I know. But he, uh, and, and the fact he put his coat on afterwards for the, for the post-match, it just, it just had me chuckling. <laughs> but who cares? You know, Wolves, um, massive three points for them. You know, they even scored a few goals as well. You know, Cunha on, the, on, on his way, signing. That will be a, a, a good signing, I think, for them. I think he's eight. To, we got him at eight to 13 to score five or more goals. I think that's a little bit on the short side. I think, obviously, the pantomime season's over now. So I don't think we'll see much of Diego Costa anymore in that side. Although he did play a lot um, I think he might have played 90 minutes um, against Everton they I mean if you look if you looked at the two benches Everton and Wolves I think Wolves had so much more quality on that bench as well and um, personally I think Wolves are going to be okay this season yeah Rich they're now just a point from safety after that win and there's just three points separating Wolves in 18th up to Bournemouth in 14th Steve thinks they're safe do you and if they are who is going to go down yeah, I think wins like that just help to galvanise the side, doesn't it? It, it, it could prove to be a really big turning point in their season. It's like the eighth time that Wolves have scored after 90th minute since they've been promoted to the Premier League. So it's not it's not something that's uncommon for them, but in terms of this season and the way that they've been playing and the way that they've kind of lacked that firepower, you know, as Steve said, you know, bringing in Cunha will be big, will be huge for them. Um, and obviously with the new manager there as well, um, you know, things seem to be looking up for them. So with that being said, I think, I think Wolves will be fine and, who will go down? I'm really worried about Southampton. Yeah, they were schooled by Brighton on, on a different level. Um, I worry about the, the manager. He was new to this level of, of football, um, and whether he can he can galvanise the side remains to be seen. I think Nottingham Forest as well. So I think their their away form is just dire, and I struggle to see where. I worry that they won't get enough wins at home. Although you know, see City Ground's a great atmosphere, but I, I worry about them there. And then for me, it's between Everton and, and Bournemouth. I mean, Everton look, look really, really poor. Um, you know, they're in a dogfight and depends whether they can get investment in January, which looks unlikely, of course, due to FFP reasons. Um, but as you, as you said at, at the top down, you know, very naive against Wolves. You know, sometimes just by setting for the point, take the point, go home. So thank you very much. But, you know, going for the win late on, pushing like six or seven bodies forward and getting caught in a counter-attack is, is, is really poor and something that they need to improve. And, and with Bournemouth as well, of course, new ownership and things, again, could be looking up. But again, you know, Vernil um, at the helm now. <clears throat> the dynamic changes from being um, a caretaker to, to a yeah, full-time manager. And I think when you when you are the caretaker, the pressure's off, you allow the players to kind of, you know, express themselves and things like that. But now as the manager, he's under a bit more pressure. And we know that teams around them do have that kind of know-how to to avoid danger and, and to drag themselves out. And similar to Forrest, I just worry to see, I just struggle to see where they get the enough, enough wins from in order to stay up. 
looking at Bet365's prices, prices, it's interesting that only two teams are odds on. So are seen as having kind of more than a 50% chance of, of going down. And those are Nottingham Forest, who are 4 to 7, and Bournemouth, who are 8 to 13. Southampton are the, the next most likely at 11 to 10, so, but still seen as being just about more likely to stay up than go down, which I guess is notable. I think Nathan Jones will have, you know, the 4th of January on his calendar circled in red with about 15 arrows pointing at it because that is the day they host Nottingham Forest and he will know that a win there is absolutely essential in order to try and kickstart their 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 you know their safety um their campaign to get there <clears throat> in terms of the, the prices that look interesting I do think Leicester at seven to one seems massive uh, in my mind I, I think there are still so many question marks about them that I mentioned earlier and even the nine to one about West Ham where there seems to be this just acceptance that West Ham are going to be okay. But from where we're sitting right now, they've got 14 points from 16 games. They've only won four games. They've lost 10. Their goal difference is minus seven. They've got, what, two points fewer than Bournemouth, a point fewer than Leeds. Same amount of points as Everton, having played the same amount of games. You know, this... I know they've been a great side for the last two seasons, but we've seen next to nothing so far in this campaign to suggest they're anywhere near that level. And, you know, we've thought that David Moyes has been a, a big net positive over that time. And of course he has been, but that probably means he's going to get a longer stay than than most managers within this situation, which could prove to be a negative if he doesn't turn them around. So um, I'd be interested in a couple of runners at big prices who, from where we're sitting right now, at nearly the turn of the year, don't look to be any better than the sides around them. It's just the perceived strength from them pre-season that's probably getting them to, to be the prices that they are. Wolves were, uh, were bottom at Christmas. Can you name any teams that were bottom at Christmas yet survived in the Premier League over recent years? West Brom did, didn't they? Sunderland. 2005, the Albion, yeah. Uh, Sunderland did as well. And do you remember Leicester finishing bottom and going on to win the Premier League? I bloody hope Wolves don't do that next year. But <laughs> you'll, be you'll, you'll, you'll be safe with that one, Steve. I don't see that happening at all. I, I, wouldn't, put, I wouldn't put any money on that. that. That's for absolute certain. Let's move away from the relegation battle then and talk about Manchester United. They got back into things with a routine win over Nottingham Forest with Marcus Rashford looking rejuvenated. They probably could have scored more goals as well, Manchester United. Even prior to the World Cup, actually. Rashford was was getting back into form, Rich. Could he be the big winner of Cristiano Ronaldo moving on, especially as it looks like it may be a struggle for Manchester United to get a forward player in? Yeah, I think I think it's a, it's a really good point. You know, six goals in nine games now in all competitions, including the World Cup, you know, someone with confidence. And I think what's interesting, mentioning Ronaldo, when we, we know Rashford likes to get in behind him. We know that when he cuts inside, you know, he's very direct. He likes to go for goal or, or create chances. And I feel sometimes with Ronaldo in the team, his first thought was to try and find Ronaldo, whether it's through a cross or, or a pass. And sometimes the end product wasn't there. What we're seeing now is a Rashford with with a supreme confidence. And I, I think he took his goal really well. I mean, it's a great set piece, um, nice little routine, but I think we've all seen Rashford in those situations, just trying to lash at it and trying to, you know, burst the ball at times. So I think that the way he, he you know, it's a very composed, very, you know, very precise finish. And, you know, that, that screams someone of, of confidence, knowing that, okay, you know, they, you don't have to smash the ball in the back of the net to score. You can place it in the bottom corner or top corner in, in the instance the other day. And, um, you know, it's likely to go in. So, yeah, it's, it's great to see Rashford playing with confidence. We know how dangerous he can be. We know that, you know, he can score goals at, in big games at key times with Manchester United. And as you say, with the, with it looking increasingly unlikely that United will buy a striker in January, you know, they are looking to have, they are looking at some loan options. Um, Jao Felix being, being touted as one of them. But if not, then it will fall on, on Rashford to, to kind of carry the load. And he's definitely capable of doing that. 
Yeah, if, if, although he's lively as well, he feels more in control of, of what he's doing now, George Marcus Rashford. That's when he's at his best, I think, when it's like that controlled chaos from him because he's a sensational player on his day. It's Martial leading the line for, for Manchester United at the moment. He, he kind of, him and Rashford, I've always thought, they like to do the, the same kind of things. They like to drift in from the left. But when Martial plays as the striker, I feel like he's better at sacrificing his natural game and sticking to those central areas, which is a, is a plus for Rashford on the left. Do you think I'm right in, in thinking that? Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I think there's no doubt that, especially the way they play at the moment, Martial is, is more suited to playing that, that forward role. And I think that him and Rashford work well together in doing so. I think both of them are just showing what having a really good head coach can do to footballers whose careers are somewhat stagnating. Now, I, I don't want this to become a you know a, a, another bashing game at the previous manager, but so many Manchester United players' careers were, were stagnating under the former coach. And... Uh, Ten Hag has come in and you mentioned who benefits the most from Ronaldo's departure. I think Marcus Rashford just profits the most from Eric Ten Hag's arrival where, you know, he is someone who has a track record of improving young players. And, you know, there's no reason why even when a player is fairly well established and isn't necessarily of a young age anymore, I know Rashford is not, but you're looking at the likes of of Luke Shaw and and Martial, why these players can't be rejuvenated as well. Um, They look like a completely different set of players. They they know their job. Um, They've got a lot of belief in terms of what they're doing. And, And Rashford's composure not just in terms of his finishing but when every time he gets on the ball you see him now confident looking up happy to take his man on happy to look inside to play the ball happy to get down to the byline and put a cross in in every facet of his game he just looks like a totally different footballer to, to this time a year ago and I remember on this pod we, we had a chat about Rashford it must have been about a year ago and I remember saying maybe he's just not that good maybe this is a guy who burst onto the scene being a young homegrown player at Manchester United being an English player and, and raise expectations too high. And actually, he's just a middling Premier League player. I mean, I couldn't have been more wrong. We're now seeing the potential that he has and the quality that he has. He's an elite forward who is playing at the top of his game now. And I see no reason why, from where he is now, he can't continue to improve because he looks to have every single attribute you want from a wide forward to be to be pretty devastating. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens with him going forward. He's a, he's a, he's a different player and, and apologies to Marcus for doubting him. I think you raise a, com- a completely fair and, and valid point on, on the head coach. Now, they've got a head coach now that has a plan, has an ethos, has a way of playing. And some man, not not just Rashford, a, a lot of Manchester United players l- looked lost, looked like they, they were shadows of the former selves. The example I would use is, Steve, is that if Manchester United had signed Casemiro this time last year, he wouldn't be putting in the performances that, that he's putting in now and the other night against Forrest. I know Forrest weren't great, but Casemiro is just head and shoulders was head and shoulders above any other midfielder on that pitch. So so good. Yeah, he's he's the local he's the he's the latest darling of social media, isn't he? Everyone was falling over themselves just to give him as much praise as they possibly could. Clearly we all know a quality player that Casemiro is. But you're right, Dan, he, he, he was outstanding there. I'd also point to Luke Shaw as well, who seems to be, um, yeah, you know, can play, well. yeah, yeah, defensively, you know, going forward as well in different positions, his versatility. So I think you can point to a number of players. I think Casemiro played also, played centre-half today against Burnley in the cup game as well. So again, he's, mm. he's, he's got versatility there. We know that Manchester United have had a few issues defensively. Not that they needed it against um, against that Forest side. Of course, Lindelof's been ill. Uh, Wambi Saka's been playing more. I think Dallow had an injury as well. Maguire was ill, but came back. And of course, I've got a World Cup winner as well to come back as well. So it's looking okay for Manchester United so far. We still don't think they're going to finish in the top four places as far as the betting's concerned. But 
bit, a bit like the top two, the top four also is going to be a good battle as well. So it's uh, all to play for. Special mention to Rafa Varane as well. He played nine days after losing in a World Cup final. They had all those injuries. He, he, he put himself into, into the team. Probably wasn't fully fit himself. He's had injury problems. So yeah, a special mention to him for coming in and helping his team out. Manchester City v Everton is Saturday at three o'clock and Man City last night kept the gap to Arsenal at five points with a win at Leeds. Two more for Erling Haaland. He doesn't even have to really be involved with the game and he scores a couple of goals, Rich. Just, he's just there, isn't he? It's almost, it's almost boring. You know, he, he didn't really do much, but he put the ball in the back of the net twice and that's all he needs to do. So what he's paid to do is what he's been brought in to do. And again, that's his game, isn't it? He doesn't need to be involved in much of the build-up, doesn't need to be involved in much of the play, but he needs he's he's always there. And that that's a skill, that's an art in itself to always be there to, to create the chances and, and put the ball in the back of the net. Two more goals again. Okay, granted, the first one was, was probably given on a plate to him, but again, he had to be there to score. And and the second one was was a good accomplished finish as well. So yeah, it was a it was a really good night for Man- uh, for Manchester City. Um, interesting. Um, Sam Lee put out a piece on Thursday morning about just how they set up, and you know, a lot of people sort of saw the lineup and saw Grealish and Mahrez, and maybe would have been a bit disappointed and would have rather have seen you know Bernardo playing and just to create that that chaos and that end to end feel. Uh, maybe neutrals may have wanted to see that as well, but. We know that in when Mahrez and Grealish play, um, you know they they keep the ball very well. Fair enough, Grealish missed a handful of chances and uh, he was getting a bit embarrassing at, at, at times. But he, he keeps the ball high up the pitch. So does Mahrez, and it just takes this thing out of the game. Um, and suddenly made a great point. You know, if the game feels boring, if it looks boring, then that that's Guardiola's intention. Just take this thing out of the game, especially away from home at Grand like Ellen Road, where we know the crowd can get you know on on the team's back and galvanise the side. If City can just control the game, take the sting out of it with, you know, as Guardiola said, 100 million passes, then the, the game's in their favour and they, they they control the game from start to finish. You know, 21 shots, say Haaland got his goals, Rodri two. And all in all, it was a really, really uh, composed and simple night for Manchester City, you know. Now, Steve, how defining could January be in the title race? A lot's been made of Arsenal facing Newcastle at home, Spurs away and Manchester United at home. But Man City's run doesn't look too favourable either. Chelsea away, Manchester United away and Spurs at home to come for them. Although I would imagine Manchester City would probably expect to take nine points from them. But those fixtures that they're going to be telling in the, in the January games? Yeah, I can't wait. I suppose we've been sport by the World Cup, haven't we, Dan? All these big games and then you kind of think, well, it's been ages since we've had a, a big run of Premier League games. But these, you know, even the Brighton game for Arsenal is, uh, is huge, you know, for them. Coming up as well, and 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 the you know the games against Newcastle, Spurs, and and Manchester United. We're not even talking about them playing uh, Manchester City yet, but yeah, City. I mean, Rich talked about Harland there. You know, Harland. He's about six to one there to score fifty Premier League goals. He's odds on to get forty Premier League goals. So as long as he's there, we're expecting them to roll over Everton without you know without any worries. But yeah, yeah, the Chelsea game, the Manchester United game, the Spurs game. They are still odds on favour. They've got Tottenham as well coming up. They are still two to five to win the Premier League. Of course, it was a big win for them last night. Even if they hadn't won last night, they'd have still been odds on to win it. So it's you know it's it's very much Manchester City's to lose, we think. But yeah, season defining games. Can't wait. I think Arsenal will quite like that. I think they'll be they'll be quite happy. Definitely, yeah, Arsenal yeah, later yeah. in the show, but I think they'll be quite happy for that agenda that Manchester City is still the favourites with everyone. It might almost galvanise them in, in some ways, but we'll come on to Arsenal later in the show. George Everton just a point above the relegation zone, and pressure is mounting on on Frank Lampard now. I mean, we touched on them before. Everton, Everton, Everton. 
you can't defend like that at the end of a game. Like Rich says, you have to try and just take the point in a relegation six-pointer. Naivety beyond belief. Does, does that come from the players? Does that come from the manager? Is it a combination of both? Because these players just always seem to find themselves in these situations. But Lampard did a, a decent job with Everton, I would say, when he came in. He stabilised them. He went back to basics and he kept them up. I think they were probably going down before he came in. He kept them and up. And he gets the club, Dan. Don't, don't forget and that. he gets the club, which is very, important very part. important, George. That, that is important. But... I don't know, they're going to have to change again because it looks like it, what he was doing has lost its impact now. But I said this last night in the WhatsApp group, there's almost nowhere left for Everton to go. Manager-wise, they've almost tried everything now and they're still embroiled in relegation battles. I'd be seriously worried as an Everton fan. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely worried for them too. Um, you know, it's it's amazing how big that goal for Mike Norrie was because you look at the table now, they're, they're side by side, those two sides. And, um, you know, we've got, Wolves are at eleven to eight for relegation, and and um, and Everton six to four. So basically the same price. I mean, I would definitely be backing Wolves in a match bet between the two at this stage. Um, it's interesting. I mean, I looked at the the way this game went because it was Lopetegui's first game to see kind of what we were going to see from Wolves under him. Any early signs of style? And I was pretty surprised to see that Everton absolutely dominated possession here. They had all the ball. Um, they certainly had the better chances in the game. And and Dan, I'm you know. Uh, I'm not one to, to to disagree with you um, without without good reason. But I I kind of think this is a case where. You know, we draw conclusions based off the result rather than actually what happened in the game. I think for Everton, they were at home. They were by far the better team in the second half. I think they're kind of licensed to, to, to try and get that win that would really push them clear of the relegation zone and, and probably would have, you know, if, if the prices had it been, um, you know, had it been, uh, say, Patterson rather than right, Nori uh, at the back post putting it in for Everton, um, the price discrepancy between these two teams would have been massive, reflecting that Everton would have really put distance between themselves and Wolves. I also think thought when watching it back you know Everton fans were probably pretty happy to see the ball fall to Dryway's feet running down the right hand side a, a, a player whose pace is obviously incredible but isn't known for his his delivery in the final third and his, his, his final product and the ball itself was kind of muddled through to Aitnori it's just one of those things where I think Everton on the basis of play probably deserved at the very least a point they've been picked off in the last minute but in my mind I think Lampard and his side were, were justified in, in doing it even if the, the defence of the counter-attack wasn't very good and I think Lampard himself isn't a manager that I think is necessarily deserving of a, of a Premier League job or, well I don't think he's deserving a Premier League job based on, on what we've seen so far in his in his, in his managerial career um, but having said that it's, it's quite a weird and rare situation here where you've got a manager who's under massive pressure but there's a fan base who still have a lot of respect for him and I'm not sure they've turned on him yet. I think the fans deserve some credit for the way that they... I know there's some boos at the end and you would be frustrated, wouldn't you? You conceded in the, in the 95th minute, but Everton have been serving up dross for for quite a while now. They, you know, they, the, the way that they mm. capitulated at Bournemouth in those two games, you imagine the Evertonians going down there, probably stopping down there for a few days because the games were quite close together, weren't they, from, from memory? And then you come back and then you get beaten at home to to Wolves as well. It's one of frustration. And you know, these days, you know, managers are, are under pressure seemingly from day one. Look at Nathan Jones. But I think Everton fans deserve credit for actually not being as, you know, as as, as toxic as, as, as they could be. But as we've seen in recent years, I think Everton seems to be a bit of a graveyard for managers. Obviously, we saw Ancelotti go on to to win yet more silverware after leaving Everton. You know, Ronald Koeman's been there. Uh, Rafa Benitez has been there. You know, it seems an absolute eternity ago that Everton were beating Manchester City 4-0 
at Goodison and finishing seventh in the Premier League. That ain't going to happen this season, is it? We're going to finish the Man City-Everton game with some trivia. In the Premier League era, Everton have played a total of 1,168 games. But have they won or lost more in that time? Come to you first, Steve. Uh, won. George? I'm going to say lost. They were terrible pre-Moyes, weren't they? They've had to, they've had, I feel like they've had a lot of relegation battles. I, I would go that far. <laughs> Rich? Yeah, I'd have gone uh, lost more as well. Okay, so Steve, you are out because Everton's Premier League wins is 421. Their losses is 422. So only one more oh, loss than the victory. So oh, wow. Oh, my God. I was expecting that. I was celebrating like it was some big achievement. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you celebrate it, Rich, because you're right. You, you, can, you, can, you can only beat what's in front of you and you've, you've answered the question. Yeah, now you, between beat, your... you beat me again, yeah. But now for for the bonus for for the victory, hopefully, hopefully you'll go for different answers. You two for the bonus, have Everton scored or conceded more Premier League goals? Rich, I'll come to you first for this one. Um, I will go conceded more. Conceded more, George. I'll go scored more. And George, your bravery has paid off because they've scored one thousand five hundred and four goals and conceded one thousand five hundred dead on. So again, it's very very it's very very <laughs> easy. There. Four, four goals. <laughs> yeah, clear clear margin there. Oh, good. Steve didn't get it because it wasn't about football in the 60s. So. Yeah, 70s, come on, George. <laughs> 70s. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. This is the weekend preview here on the Athletic Football Podcast. It's Brighton v Arsenal Saturday 5.30 and Arsenal showed some resilience in their title bid to come from behind and win over West Ham. They dominated the game despite falling behind and that was impressive to come back. They picked up where they left off, George, didn't they, Arsenal? Genuine contenders. Yeah, for sure. Um, They were brilliant again. Um, So much talk about Gabriel Jesus and his injury, but they, they look to be a team who are 
so much more than just individual performances. I mean, Bukayo Saka looked um, phenomenal again. I mean, he is just such an incredible talent. He's just so polished in everything that he does, so composed, um, just full of technical ability and, and confidence. Uh, Gabriel Martinelli, we saw with, with another goal. Um, and then Eddie Nketiah led the line, who, who didn't have the you know, the, the busiest of games up front, but the goal itself was taken so well, um, befitting of the number 14 shirt on his back, I would say, in terms of, of what he did and, and the way that he finished it and the, the touch before. Erdegaard is, in my mind, um, you know, operating at a, at a very high level in the final third in terms of creative ability too. I, I was having a, I spent Christmas with my um, my nephews who are massive Arsenal fans, aged kind of 11 I'm going to get in trouble for getting this wrong. 11, 9 and 6. And we were having a conversation about who would win player of the year if Arsenal were to win the um, were to win the league. And, you know, it, assuming it would be an Arsenal player. And there are so many candidates. That's the, the, the unbelievable thing. You know, whether it is Jesus, whether it's Odegaard, Martinelli, Saka, Shaka, um, Saliba, you know, throughout the team they've got players playing at such a high level and that means when one comes out in Jesus it doesn't really matter because again talking about what we were saying with Ten Hag earlier they are a side who completely know their job they know the way they want to play every player is incredibly confident in terms of of, of executing what they want to do and this was another example of that where when they do this they are so far clear of of most teams in the Premier League that their their dominance is going to show I thought it was really interesting that game as well just because we've seen in in previous seasons even last season you know Arsenal go, go down a goal go one behind the crowd usually get on their back is a bit of a nervous atmosphere a bit of a bit of tension but if you look at the game the other night I mean the, the crowd seemed pretty, pretty composed they stayed behind their team which again is, is, is such a shift in, in, in what we've seen in Arsenal in recent years almost an expectation that they would score that makes a massive difference and even when they were a goal down you know as the players that George mentioned you know they were still you know still playing the flair still creating still playing with confidence and I think confidence is a massive factor in this Arsenal side at the moment and we've seen it kind of run through the club as I say with the fans with the players and there's almost an expectation almost an inevitability that Arsenal were going to come back and, and win that game 3-1 so I say things are looking really 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 good for them at the moment and I say we spoke about their their run of form uh, their run of games I should say um, after after the new year but with, with this kind of confidence flowing through them. I mean, you'd back them to win most of those games. Yeah, the club is just one, isn't it? You know, to, to be successful, I think that's that all, all clubs need to be, they need to all, everything at the club needs to be heading in the right direction. The, the fan base, the players and the supporters, everyone needs to be on board. And they're, they're simply all on board and, and absolutely flying at the moment. And the, and the scary thing is, is that these players are so young as well. Even just being involved in this title race, it will do so much good for them. And they're, they're not out their ceilings yet, so these players are going to get better. So it's, it's really, really exciting times for Arsenal. But Steve, this this will be a tough one away at Brighton. Not an easy place to go. No, and they're just ticking along nicely, aren't they, Brighton? As you'd as you'd expect, really. I think it was a slow start uh, for the new manager, where they'd, they'd struggle for goals, barring the barring the trip to Anfield as well. They, they, you know, they they. They were fantastic. I think Rich said that they schooled uh, Southampton and without key players as well, obviously, uh, uh, McAllister as well. It's just a club, a very well-run club that just get on with the job, don't they? And and, and, and just and, and just keep doing the business. It would be interesting to see, talking to business, what they do in January, whether they whether they sign a striker. I suppose they don't really need to sign a striker. They've just, they just seem to have a, um, a number of players that seem to score a number of key goals for them. Very rarely get into double figures, but just, you know, playing with a false nine. See, Trossard seems to score like seven or eight goals every single season. Likewise, uh, McAllister. Danny Welbeck, you know, he, I think he's, you know, he normally scores five or six goals. Pascal Gross this season's got five. So they don't need a 20 goal 
striker really to um, uh, to get the job done. They'd very much like one, though. I think they'd very much like one. Everyone wants a 20-goal striker, Steve and Brighton. Fans will be no different. George, one of your favourite subjects raised in the EFL, Solly March and Adam Lalana were the boys on the score sheet against Southampton. Rare goals for both. Solly March had been on a long run without a goal. Solly March nearly scored a hat-trick, didn't he? Because you got the, the second goal, which was the own goal where he was you know, standing behind the defender, um, nearly um, got on the end of a cross. Um, and I was watching it thinking he's basically playing up front and um, should have thought about backing him to score. But uh, I didn't expect that goal to be a 30-yard left footed strike into the top left-hand corner. What a hit. An unbelievable performance from him, a player who looks to be really enjoying playing under under De Zerbi. Lallana <laughs> didn't look... It's such a difficult one for him because he doesn't score many goals these days. And I'm sure he would love to celebrate every goal at this stage in his career as if it's his last. And, and you could kind of see that initially and then you remembered who he was playing against and thought, you know what, I better not celebrate. It's St. Mary's too too joyously. But yeah, I mean, I, I think Brighton are, are pretty quickly becoming... I mean, they, they always have been, they were under Potter, but as a neutral, I think if Brighton are playing and you can watch it, watch it because they are uh, a lot of fun to watch in terms of their um, the way they like to approach games. You know that all their games are going to be fairly open. They create so many chances. And the results are coming alongside as well. I think they are well set under De Zerbi to be a side who will challenge for, for European qualifications in the future, even if not this season. So those are the matches to keep an eye on at the weekend. And the full fixture list looks like this. The action gets underway on Friday night as Brentford head to West Ham, whilst Liverpool host Leicester at Anfield. Then on Saturday, Manchester United travel to Wolves in the early kickoff before Man City entertain Everton at three o'clock, along with Fulham Southampton, Bournemouth Palace and Newcastle against Liverpool. Leeds. Brighton Arsenal is the tea time offering in the last game of 2022 before the New Year's Day action gets underway on Sunday with Tottenham v Villa before Chelsea head to Nottingham Forest. Steve, West Ham kick things off against Brentford. It is incredible to think that they are just a point above the relegation zone. Moyes not under pressure yet but as we know how football works at some point he is going to come under serious pressure if this continues. Yeah, dreadful away from home as well. And sometimes, you know, the away fans who, who, who pay the hard earned and travel over the country, you know, they're... If you lose them, then you're, then you're banging trouble. But just the fact that they've lost the last four games, Dan, is, 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 is a massive concern for him. Two points from bottom. I think the next four games will make or break David Moyes as horrible as, you know, you don't like to talk about people be, you know, you know losing their job, starting with the Brentford game. Then you got Leeds away, I think you've got Wolves away and then, uh, then, then Everton at home as well. His detractors will point to £160 million spent in the summer. That also brings brings pressure as well. I know they're doing OK in, in Europe, but it's all about the bread and butter. West Ham fans don't want to be down there. West Ham fans don't expect them to be down there. So it's, um, yeah, unfortunately for David Moyes, who continues to struggle away from home against the better sides throughout his career. Um, after that disappointing loss at Arsenal, he's um, unfortunately, he feels like to me, he's bang under pressure. And George Spurs dropping points against Brentford, although yet again they've recovered points from behind. They can't afford to slip up at home against Villa, can they? No, they can't because, you know, it's kind of a weird cycle here where with every poor performance, you think Antonio Conte is likely to staying, dwindles a bit, but then similarly, they're not playing very well. So why is there so much clamour for him to stay? I think um, their performance again was really concerning uh, over the Christmas periods where, you know, it's the eighth game in a row, I think, where they've conceded first. I know Tim said on this on this show um, a few weeks ago that it was 
by design in a way where you know Conte was setting them up to basically not exert too much energy early in games and then come on strong in the second half. I just I can't believe it's to this extent. Even the way they are finishing games is impressive. They just look so lethargic and so poor uh, early on in games. I just think they've been fairly poor for most of the season, if I'm honest. And I you know I know they are currently sitting uh, in the top four, but and they're they're seven or four to get there um, with bet three six five at this stage. I think they are miles away from from having enough um about them to to see off the challenges of of Liverpool of Manchester United you know we'll see what happens with Chelsea but yeah i i'm pretty concerned for them at this stage and um you know they've they've clearly got the quality in their side to turn it around i know the, the return of Kulusevski has been um earmarked by Spurs fans as being uh, the, the catalyst for change but their their performances have to get better because right now they they're, they're not playing well enough to to justify a, a top four spot yeah, and rich Chelsea in the top four race as well. They're up against Forest. It looks like they'll be busy in the January transfer window. Again, I think Newcastle have just thrown the top four race into disarray because I don't think many people would have expected them to be doing as well as they can. So the the boys who would expect to be there are, are looking up at the moment and try, trying to chase them. But it's, a, it's not something they want, really, another team being in the mix, especially when a lot of them are inconsistent. No, it, it, exactly. You know, the, the route is definitely much tighter now. As you mentioned, Newcastle are, are playing at such a, a good, consistent level and, and the sides around them just aren't. So Chelsea are one of them. And the game against Forest is, is an interesting one because it could either be that we see Chelsea cruise to victory against Forest or Forest, you know, with the home crowd behind them, you know, make it really difficult for them and, you know, maybe sneak a draw or even, or even sneak an upset. So, as you say, if Chelsea play like they did against um, against Bournemouth, you know, uh, especially with, you know, Raheem Sterling playing like, nice and high out wide and providing a firepower for, for the likes of Havertz, then, you know, I can see Chelsea con- controlling this game. But if they start poorly, if they start slowly, and allow the, the forest to, you know, to build momentum and for the crowd to get on top of them. It, it could prove to be a difficult afternoon for them. Um, you know, Chelsea you know, lost their last three away games in all competitions. Last time they lost four uh, away from home in a row was in 2019. So something that they would look to avoid. Talk about January. We've seen that they've brought in uh, David Fofana. Um, look, looks an interesting prospect, you know, 15 goals and 24 Looks like it looks like it's you know it's going to be a handful, but again he's going to take time to to adjust. And of course with Reese James's injury now, I know saying he's going to be out for up to a month, and obviously he will need to regain his fitness and, and come back. It would be interesting to see whether they look to get a, a short term replacement in that area of the pitch as well, because you know Aspilicueta has been a willing servant for the club, but it's it's, it's clear to see that Chelsea's attacking output does drop a level when Aspilicueta is playing. He's just not the same player as he was five ten years ago in terms of getting forward and providing those assists. So it'll be an interesting January for them. I think they do need to strengthen in order to kind of maintain that momentum, especially under the new manager as well. And a win, a win against Forest will, will do that. But I don't think it's cut and dry as uh, many people think it will be. And before we go, it's time for the six score challenge. So Steve, I'm going to hand over the reins to you. Yeah, the million pound was nearly won. Two people. Oh, not by us. No, we're left uh, in, in, the, <laughs> in, the, uh, in the Manchester United game against against Forest so we'll have another another crack at this guys predict six scores for chance of winning uh, one million pound with also consolation prizes we've paid over a million pound actually in consolation prizes after after the latest round so Georgie I'll start with you pal Fulham Southampton hmm one nil Fulham I take it yeah okay yeah Uh, yeah. home win this won't be Um, it will be a home win you would have thought Uh, Manchester City versus Everton Frank Lampard back to his old club. <laughs> yeah. 3-0. Okay. 
Uh, Rich, uh, Newcastle leads. I was checking the outrights the other day, I and mean, we've been a thousand to one Newcastle for the league. Uh, what a price that was! <laughs> yeah, Newcastle leads. I'm going to go three-one Newcastle. Okay, and Brighton versus Arsenal. Tough one. Um, I'm going to go two-one Arsenal. Mister Bardell, Tottenham Spurs. Uh, Tottenham Spurs. Tottenham Villa. <laughs> uh, Tottenham Villa. <laughs> I'm going to go 2-2. Two, two. Oh, bias. Less, and, uh, less down big time there, haven't I? <laughs> and, uh, and Forest Chelsea. I will go 1-0 to Chelsea. Okay, stuff. Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, I think, I've, I think the, other, the other guys, when they, they predicted their scores, they were scores that I would have predicted and then my own scores don't feel like scores that I should be predicting, which is the way Best way to be, Dan. Which is weird, but yeah. I'm backing us for four out of six anyway there because I, I, I like to look at some of those predictions. Well, that'll be a consolation prize, pal. That'd be good. Okay, if I remember to put it on Steve, which is always <laughs> always something that I need reminding. You'll get a text from of. me. You'll get a text from me. <laughs> Steve sent me, right. Steve sent was me it, a, Was it Christmas Day? Was it? I said, no, sent I it. I can't remember what it was. Steve sent me a reminder of the score predictions and he sent me rather than just sending me the, the the predictions like in a message he took a photo of a piece of paper that he'd wrote the scores <laughs> on his handwriting was like a doctor's handwriting i couldn't i couldn't even work out who the games were let alone what the, what the scores were gonna be the strangest way to send over the scores to me i've ever yeah. seen old age it happens dan you'll get it soon son don't worry a handwritten piece of paper on a picture message <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous, so yeah. I mean, God knows what scores got put on, on on Boxing Day. They weren't the ones that we predicted, that's for certain. And that is it here from us at the weekend preview. For unrivaled coverage ahead of the January transfer window, you can subscribe to The Athletic now for just a pound a month for the first 12 months. To take advantage of that, head to theathletic.com slash football pod. Thanks ever so much for listening. Thanks to the team for joining me as well and enjoy the weekend's football. The Athletic.